0: The Lord be with you. you. Let us pray. Spirit, wind, breath, fill our lungs and lives with your energizing presence. Refresh our stale minds and stir our slowly beating hearts, that we may humbly and courageously be your life giving presence in the world. Amen. The reading today is from John chapter 14, verses 8 through 17 and 25 through 27. Philip said to him, Lord, show us God, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time? And do you, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen God. How can you say, show us God? Do you not believe that I am in God, and God is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own but God who dwells in me does God's works. Believe me that I am in God and God is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to God. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that God may be glorified in the son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask God, and God will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So of the three arguably most important days of the church calendar, Christmas, where we celebrate God entering the world in the person of Jesus. Easter, where we celebrate the defeat of death and evil by divine love. And Pentecost, where we celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost doesn't get nearly as much press as the other two. I think it needs a better marketing campaign. But in any case, I hope you've heard the story of Pentecost before. The followers of Jesus were gathered in Jerusalem, awaiting the coming of the Spirit. Suddenly, there were tongues of flame and different languages being spoken and prophecies. And there was a general amazement at the not-actually-drunk disciples and the general shenanigans of the day. But perhaps most importantly, there was a protective shell that shattered open, giving birth to a fledgling church comprised of people filled with passion and power, to carry on the work that Jesus had started. Now, while everyone loves a good party, and pride is next weekend after all, this year, I'm less interested in the story of Pentecost itself than I am in the deeper promises that the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost offers us. For some of that, I want to take a step back to Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would come, which is today's passage. This passage comes from the farewell speech Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. And even though the disciples are grieved and worried about the fact that Jesus is saying he won't be with them much longer, he's letting them know that God still will be. Even though they won't be able to see him face to face or reach out and take his hand, they will have an advocate that will dwell within them closer than they can imagine. This passage doesn't just reassure the disciples, though. This is also one of the passages that sets up the Christian understanding of God as Trinity. Now, while you won't find the Trinity explicitly referenced anywhere in scripture, the idea that God the parent, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are unique persons, but also a unity we call God, is alluded to in various places within the New Testament. Here, Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in God and that God is in me? While this is hardly conclusive on its own, it is one of the passages we reference back to when considering the unity of Jesus and the Father. Now, if you're cringing or rolling your eyes, don't worry. We're not going to get into a highly technical or academic discussion of the Trinity this morning. Though we can do that if you'd really like to. I understand that many people find the whole thing needlessly complicated and possibly even a little bit irrelevant. But I do want to tell you that I think the Trinity is one of the most beautiful revelations to come out of Christianity. And that if we take it seriously, it has profound implications for what it means for us as human beings that are made in the image of God. For today, though, I want to focus on what I think is the most important implication of the Trinity, which is that God, in the very core essence of who God is, is a community of three persons, whose love for each other is so deep and profound that they are also a single, unified being. When I was in seminary, I discovered that the Eastern Orthodox Christians have a word for this. It's perichoresis. And I can tell you, nerd that I am, that I'm not sure anything I learned in seminary impacted me more deeply than that single word. Literally, it means to dance around. And When applied to God, it means that the heart of the Trinity is an eternal dance of love and joy a wild celebration of ecstasy that can only come from the most profound love. It means that when we say God is love, it's more than just a platitude. It means that we have a foundation to underlie the idea that the angry, wrathful, punishing God so many in the church have grown up with isn't actually the essence of God. And that's good news. So if you're still with me, you might be asking, well, that's lovely, Chad, but what does that have to do with Pentecost? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. Jesus tells us in today's passage that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And when that happens, the Father will send the spirit of truth to abide in and with us. And if we skip ahead to the next chapter of John, we will hear Jesus reiterate his commandment for us to love each other as he loves us. So let me rephrase his promise. If we love Jesus, we will love each other as Jesus loved us. And God the parent will send a person of the Trinity to dwell in and with us. Do you catch the extraordinary implication there? With this indwelling of the Spirit, we are given the opportunity to experience an earthly mirror of what Jesus shares with the rest of the Godhead. In Pentecost, we are invited to share in the very heart and life of God. So what does this really mean for us in the here and now? I think first of all, we should notice that love is both a cause and an effect in this promise. As we choose to love, we are granted an ever deepening capacity for love. It's a partnership between God and us. So what might this deepening look like? At the first level, love is an emotion. Culturally, this is our most common understanding of love, right? It can be the stabilizing love of a friend, the protective love of a child, the passionate love of a spouse, or any of the thousands of permutations we can feel for others that we call love. And this is good, but it's only the first step. Because as love deepens, we realize that feelings aren't quite enough. If love is only a feeling, then I really struggle when the Bible says things like, love your enemies, or love the stranger. I don't know how to make myself feel things for people I don't know, let alone people who hate, persecute, or revile me. Have you ever heard the saying, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you? It's a little sassy and snarky, but it contains a grain of truth. As love deepens, we discover that it's an action verb. It's about doing good to others. It's about doing the thing that might let another person experience love, no matter what we feel. Hopefully, this is no surprise to you. This is the level at which we spend most of our time in church talking about love. It's the action of love in the world that we most often care about as followers of Jesus. But what if this isn't the deepest love goes? I want to suggest that the deepening can continue past that. What if love can actually be a state of being? What would it look like if love were simply how you moved in the world? If you didn't have to choose to love someone because it was your instinctive reaction to everyone you met? What would it look like if you could empathize with your enemies? If you could understand their humanity and their need and have compassion for them without affirming the harm they cause? What would it look like if love wasn't so much a feeling or an action, but rather simply who you are? Sound impossible? If I'm being honest, most days it does to me, especially if I read the news that morning. (laughs) But as best as I understand it, this is actually who Jesus was. And again, as best as I understand it, this is actually who God is calling us to be. We don't get there on our own, though. It's the promise of Pentecost, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that love can become not just God's nature, but ours as well. I find myself wondering if this reality is the root of one of Jesus's most fantastical statements. Did you catch it earlier when the passage was read? Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Our works will be greater than those of Jesus. Excuse me? What does that even look like? (laughs) I've heard people say over the years that, well, you know, Jesus was only one person and the church is made up of a lot of people. So of course, over time, our works as the church will be greater than what Jesus did. And while I certainly hope that that's true, that's not actually what the passage is saying. The passage is in the singular. It says that each person who follows Jesus has the capacity to do greater things than Jesus himself. Not through his or her own power, but through the power of the Spirit dwelling within us. I wish I could tell you what this looks like, but I'm not sure I know. I do hope to find out, though. Today we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the invitation to participate in the life and heart of God, and the call to move as love in the world, letting divine ripples flow from us wherever we go. It's a lot. It might feel impossible. It might even feel a little frightening we might not be sure we want that kind of power. So let me remind you that this is an invitation. An invitation to partner with God. You are not called to do this work alone. But you are called to love. And you are called to truth. And you are called to joy. So may it always be.
0: Amen.